Welcome to the DC Drop, where we talk all the news from this week in DC movies, TV, and comics. I'm Tom. And I'm Zach. Let's give another minor little Black Adam update from Dwayne Johnson, promoting his recent film, Hobbs and Shaw, talking to IMBD, IMDb, and he was asked, when are we going to see Black Adam? And he didn't really give an answer, but he said it's likely to film summer 2020. Uh, this continues again. It always seems like whatever time of year it is, he says, we're about a year away yeah. from filming it. I think he's been saying that for three years now. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's what it seems like. So again, if summer 2020, that means probably a late 2021, early 2022. Maybe that's the the April mini blockbuster that New Line likes to do every year for 2022. Maybe something like that. They said the scripts come in and the script is great, which which you would expect them to say. Yeah, not super surprising. Like you said, we've heard a couple times that it's going to film next summer or in about a year from now. Um, but he is he's wrapping up some projects and it seems like things are actually coming together now. So this seems like a more sure date than we've had in the past. Well, he's he's always wrapping up and adding projects. That, but true. now that there's actually a director attached who should that should be his next job, uh, Jama Kletzera with a director attached. And Dwayne Johnson said that Jama wants to make, quote, the Dirty Harry of superheroes. That's his goal for the film. Yeah, which I, have you seen Dirt, Dirty Harry before, Tom? Actually, I haven't, but I, okay. I know about it. Yes. Yeah, I think I think my dad made me watch it when I was a kid, but I don't really <laughs> remember it. But I guess that makes sense. Like this is a kind of anti-hero sort of character. He's not exactly a good person, but you're still going to be rooting for him. So that makes sense. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't care, but he seems to want to do helpful things anyway. Um, yeah, I get that. Uh, it sounds like they're definitely going the anti-hero route, which is not surprising at all with everything Dwayne Johnson has said and everything he likes to be as an actor you know i don't think he wants to come in and be a villain anyway and he wouldn't in his own solo film yeah and it's still it's still kind of interesting thinking about when are we going to see black adam and shazam together especially with the, the kids getting older and but hopefully we get black adam sooner than later next up some long range uh eight weeks out actually tracking uh some box office prediction for joker from box office pro so this isn't the indus- industry tracking which is three weeks out so we're still quite a ways away from that uh, but they have predicted a range of 60 to $90 million for a domestic opening weekend and a $77 million opening with $175 million total. Uh, so what do you think about these numbers, Tom? I think those are pretty big numbers. Box Office Pro is usually pretty good for the most part. Uh, that would be the biggest DC movie opening since Justice League. So there's that. It would be better than Aquaman or Shazam. Yeah, I don't think there's. I don't think anybody's really worried about this not making its money back with it being lower budget and you have the joker you have joaquin phoenix there seems to be decent buzz which is pointed out in the article uh the question is how high it can go yeah so far everything points to like you said this having good buzz and warner brothers having a lot of confidence in this movie they submitted it to some festivals to to get seen quite a a ways before it actually comes out so yeah things are looking good for the joker yeah and we can debate whether you know this being successful helps the DC brand as a whole uh, compared to the rest of the universe. But I don't, I don't think this is going to lose money. And, you know, I think I'd see this breaking out with, if you look at some recent October films, something, or this time of year films like it. And I think Venom was the same weekend last year. And that went on to have pretty good legs. This is going to be a very different film from those by all accounts. I think this doesn't look like a, crowd-pleasing film but you don't always necessarily have to have a a light-hearted film if it's a really great film i think people will still go 
uh, as long as they're prepared for that. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a bigger discussion. If if this does end up doing that well, and it's such a low budget, like you said, that probably points to DC wanting to do more of these low budget films in the future because that's a good return on investment. But that's a a bigger conversation for a different time about whether that's a good thing or not. If you're a, a fan of these movies, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and other box office actual numbers, some some less encouraging thing: the the DC Vertigo film, the first and only branded DC Vertigo film, The Kitchen. Didn't do so hot. It opened seventh last weekend with five and a half million, a total of eight point two million in the first week domestically. Internationally, there's only been a few. It's opened in several markets, but there's only a few reported so far. And I saw a couple hundred thousand dollars. So I don't know how much is going on there, but it got a B minus Cinema Score. Reviews are not great. Uh, the budget has been reported at thirty seven or thirty eight million. So this is very unlikely to to come close to making a profit in cinemas anyway yeah pretty disappointing all around it it did not do well didn't get good reviews so uh not good news if you want more of these small stories based on the the vertigo well now that vertigo doesn't really exist but based on these these other um non-dc superhero story arcs yeah it's very likely to be the lowest grossing movie based on a dc imprint which is currently the losers which made about 30 million um yeah you say it's it's probably not good for Vertigo. I hope that's not the lesson. I hope I hope WB doesn't think well these low budget Vertigo films are bad. So let's not do them because they have had success with them in the past or with the imprint films, things like Road to Perdition and History of Violence. Those things they've had success with. This is just not a very well received film. So it's not going to do that great. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I hope to at some point and give uh, maybe a mini review. But this is they took a risk on a interesting premise. I'm not too broken hard about it because it's an interesting premise, The Kitchen. I, I've read it. It's been a while, but I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd even rank it in the top 10 of Vertigo things I would like to see adapted. So they took a risk on a, a really unknown property with a new director, and it didn't work out. The budget of 37 to $38 million, that's a little high. You know, I would have, That's not crazy, but I would have expected maybe 25 to $30 million. 37 to 38 isn't crazy, but... Um, yeah, I hope I still hope this doesn't sour WBN, those Vertigo or DC Black Label, whatever they're going to be called in the future, those titles uh, from seeing more of them down the line. Yeah, definitely. Next up, we got a trailer for Wonder Woman Bloodlines, the new animated movie. Um, it got released and it looks like we get some glimpses of origin, which is pre-Justice League War, because um, we see Wonder Woman rescuing Steve Trevor. Um, and then there's we get to see a little bit more, including a ton of different staple Wonder Woman villains that she gets to fight. Um, but overall, what do you think of this trailer, Tom? Yeah, that was the surprising part is that we saw parts of the origin. So I think a lot of people were wondering, is this just going to be an origin film, which we just had the live action Wonder Woman film be an origin. And then the 2009, the only other Wonder Woman animated movie was an origin film. So I don't know if it's going to be an origin, but the writer, Margaret Scott on Twitter said, who said it was an origin story? So I wonder if they're just going to have a flash establish Diana on Themyscira, and then we see the first time she meets Steve Trevor before Justice League War, uh, way back in before that Justice League War continuity, but then maybe it jumps ahead to present day or tells a modern day story. It just has establishes Wonder Woman on Themyscira that way. It looks like the villainy Inc. All the all the villains teaming up are going to be invading Themyscira. So I think they, if they're going to do that, even if it's in the present day, not an origin story, it makes sense to have established Diana 
and Hippolyta and all of those other characters before. So when they do show up on Themyscira, you already have a bit of an attachment to them. Yeah, like you said, it makes sense to for us to actually see Themyscira and um, figure out what it's like in this universe. Um, and I, I don't think watching this trailer, I don't think you it would be unreasonable for someone to think this is an origin story again. Oh yeah. So it's it's nice that the writer said, well, that it's not really an origin story because I I think we don't need another one of those, like you said. Yeah, I want to see a just a Wonder Woman adventure, and I hope that's what this is there. But I like this; it looks looks good. Um, lots of cool villains, like you said. Seeing them team up for the most part, the villains look cool. I, I know people are mixed on Cheetah. That was a a bit of a different looking Cheetah, but besides that, I think they all look really good, and um, I'm excited for it. Yep. So that's going to get released digitally October 5th, and then physically October 22nd. We also got a trailer for season two of Titans on YouTube. We get to see Ian Glenn as Bruce Wayne um, in a, a flashback for the original Titans team, perhaps. Yeah, that's what it looked like. We see all of the our first look at Aqualad and Wonder Girl in costume. So it looks like perhaps that is similar to how the comics, there was a Titans team and then there was the new Teen Titans, which is similar to the Titans team from season one. So it looks like they're going to, I don't think they ever established that there was a Titans team before in season one, but it looks like they're going to do that where Robin and others were a team before. And now, as Raven says, here's Titans 2.0. Yeah, which is a cool way to bring in some new characters onto the show and definitely excited to see uh, Aqualad, Crypto, Deathstroke too. We get to see all of them in costume, like you said. So um, very, very brief glimpse, but it looks really good so far, the, the looks of their costume and everything. Yeah, and we don't get a ton from this. This is less than a minute. We see Deathstroke in a reveal that is very similar to Ben Affleck's reveal of Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke a couple of years back. Um, but yeah, just quick flashes of everything so we don't know much of what's going on story-wise, but I think every, all the characters involved look good. And yeah, and it, and it looked like the trailer as a whole had more of a superhero-type feel to it than season one did. I don't know if that's just the way the trailer's cut or if that's going a sign of what's going to happen in season two. So that season debuts September 6th. All right, on to a bunch of CW news. A lot of this, well, pretty much all of it came from the Television Critics Association summer thing where uh, there's a couple panels. I know Arrow and I think Batwoman had one talking about a variety of different things. But the CW has announced their streaming plans for new shows. Uh, if you know for current shows, if you watch them on their website or through the app, whatever smart TV or whatever you use, they keep the five most recent episodes available to stream. That's going to continue for all of their existing shows, but for their new shows starting this upcoming season, so for us, Batwoman, for DC-related stuff, the entire show will be made available all season long until 30 days before the next season starts. So you can watch, you have until 30 days before season two of Batwoman to watch season one of Batwoman for free on the CW's website or whatever with ads. Yeah, I, I like this change for the new shows because it gives people longer, uh, gives them more time to, to discover these shows and to watch them if they they missed them before. I, I wish they could do that for the other shows too. I'm sure there's there's some sort of reason, but um, it does make it a little confusing if you're a new person coming in and you see this show that you really like, you're like, oh, I wonder what these other DC shows are. Oh, I can't watch any of them. Yeah, I'm guessing that's tied into their current Netflix deals. So I'm guessing Netflix doesn't want the whole season available. Um, but yeah, I think that's really great. So for instance, you don't, if you haven't tried Batwoman and Crisis on Infinite Earth starts next week and you're 
wanting to figure it out, wanting to watch it, well, the only last five episodes would normally be available. Now you can go back and watch the pilot and see if you want to watch more and they'd all be available there. So I think that's really cool if you you can still binge this way and and, and catch up or, or do that. I think that's really neat that the CW is doing that. Yep. Speaking of Crisis, the schedule was released. It's going to come December and January, as we thought, three episodes in December, two in January. Sunday, December 8th will be the Supergirl episode at 8 p.m. All of the December ones are at 8 p.m. Monday, December 9th, Batwoman. Tuesday, December 10th, The Flash. So three nights in a row, we get one episode each of Crisis. Then a five-week break. And January 14th at 8 p.m., there's Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow back-to-back at 8 o'clock. Yeah, that's that's going to be a bit of a, a waiting game. I'm assuming that that flash episode the last one of the three in a row is not going to end in a nice neat wrapped up manner (laughs) (laughs) it's probably going to be some sort of conclusion we haven't reached yet um but yeah that's uh hopefully people don't lose interest i mean obviously we're not going to because we're we are watching this kind of stuff but like i hope general audience doesn't kind of lose track of it um they get pulled back in um i would assume that all these shows are done i don't think they're going to go back in change anything in those five weeks based on feedback from the first three episodes and unless there's very very minor things to tweak yeah i think for the most part that's that's going to be locked in um the flip side with five weeks off you could also hear if it's going well there could be a lot of good buzz and people could be saying hey check out crisis you can watch them watch three episodes on the cw and then there's big buzz for the return in january like you said, I'm guessing there's going to be some sort of cliffhanger. There's a few natural spots in the Crisis comic to where you could see how that would be a good cliffhanger. Um, but one night, neat thing, I think assuming these are all filming around the same time, you know, they're all filming all five episodes roughly together, that means the last two episodes have five extra weeks to do special effects yeah. and and not have to rush and really spend their time doing that big, epic final battle that that they want to do. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of that. And the the Legends of Tomorrow episode, while technically will be the first episode released for season five, it's not being called the first episode. So the following week will be episode five one. I don't know if that means timeline wise, it's going to take place after, you know, partway through the legend season, but or how it's going to work. But uh, yeah, it's not technically episode season five, episode one of Legends. It is not. Interesting. Other things, characters from Black Lightning are going to appear in the crossover. Big news. I'm really excited about this. Uh, we have no confirmation on who will appear, but they do, or how much, but they do say characters will appear. So we can assume Black Lightning, maybe Thunder and Lightning. I don't know if Gamby or Lynn or Henderson or any of them will be able to make it. Um, Black Lightning films in Atlanta as opposed to Vancouver, but it sounds like they're going to make it make it happen. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, this and this definitely fits in with the bigger theme of just bringing in just about as many people as they possibly can. So this is really cool. Um, I think most people have wanted Black Lightning characters to be involved in the crossovers, us in- included. So this is really good news. Yeah, I'm guessing they'll keep it small. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jefferson Pierce, maybe his daughters, and one or two episodes each are uh, probably the way they'll handle it. But this is confirmation that Black Lightning exists in this multiverse. Maybe we'll finally out finally find out which Earth exactly Black Lightning is on and will allow them to appear on be in the same earth at the end and then potentially open the door for smaller crossovers. But this is the first time Black Lightning's crossed over and it's coming in for Crisis and I'm very excited about it and, and what it could mean in the future. Yep. Uh, also, Kevin Conroy is going to appear as an older Bruce Wayne. So 
again, more people that they get to, more guest stars that they're bringing in. But in the, the DC Animated Universe's continuity, 2019 is the year Bruce Wayne retires as Batman. So that's Batman Beyond. That's when that happens. So that this kind of fits in with that perfectly. Yeah, that makes me wonder because are they going to keep the continuity of all these different characters that they bring in from different universes? Because Mark Guggenheim on Twitter responded to something asking if, I believe it was if Kevin Conroy and Burt Ward would be from the same Earth. And he said, well, no, that would be mixing universe universes, which seems to imply, are they keeping the continuity? In which case, is Kevin Conroy playing a, just playing a live action version of his Batman from Batman the Animated Series? And 2019 would be the year he would retire. So he either is wearing that Batman Beyond costume on the verge of a heart attack or has just recently retired from doing that and is 20 years away from, from Terry McGinnis showing up. Either way, I don't know. I think it's really cool to see Kevin Conway in live action as Bruce Wayne. That's just awesome. Yeah, really, really cool. Uh, and Guggenheim on Twitter said that they're trying to get more in reference to someone asking about guest stars. So they're trying to get more of them every day. And it, it seems like they're doing a good job at that. There's It really does seem like just about every day there's some, some new person or uh, character added to this crossover. Yeah, he said they're trying to get lots of people from DC movies and TV. My question is how much... Are they realistically going to be involved? Uh, is Kevin Conroy going to be in one or two scenes? Or, you know, if they bring in lots of other people, are they just going to be around looking in the sky and get a cameo? It's going to be tough to fit in a lot of different characters in a meaningful way. So we'll have to see how they juggle that and how much they can realistically bring in and give a story arc to. Yeah. And on the subject of what Kevin Conroy is going to be doing, he was at Soda City Comic Con and somebody asked about the crossover and he said he's not supposed to talk about it and then talked about it for about three minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talked about how they flew him out to do some VFX work. So perhaps he's going to be doing some action, some CGI stuff that is going to need to be added to him. He got like a full body scan of a model of himself done. So um, he, it looks like he's going to be involved in more than just standing around and talking. Yeah, so I don't know if that is for costuming purposes or just VFX. You know, he's going to be doing something, how that would imply. Um, but, I mean, that, you seem to think that would mean he would be doing some kind of action. We don't know that he is going... It's been specifically mentioned Bruce Wayne. Nobody, nobody right. has mentioned Batman. Uh, so maybe he gets that. Maybe he's walking around with a cane and he's got a dog named Ace and they're just kicking some kids around Wayne Manor or something like that. I don't know how he's going to fit in, but... Again, really cool to see Kevin Conroy in live action. Also really cool, Marv Wolfman, writer of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths comic book back in 1985, is going to be a writer of the TV adaptation. So with this news coming from TCAs, it's all kind of confusing because you hear 100 different reporters report and they word things slightly differently. So I'm not sure if he is going to be writing just the Arrow episode or writing the story for the entire crossover. But... Executive producer Mark Guggenheim and Wolfman co-wrote this story. Again, not sure if that's just for Arrow or the all of Crisis as a whole. Yeah, like you said, it's not 100% clear, but whatever his involvement, it's really awesome that they approached him and he agreed and he is actually going to be involved in this in some way. Wolfman is a tremendous uh, comic book writer, great long history. Hasn't done a ton of stuff outside of comics. I know he's done some novelizations. Um He's done a couple episodes of animation. He did some Transformer stuff, and he did the two-part Feats of Clay episode for Batman the Animated Series, but TV, live-action TV is going to be a new thing for him. But keeping him involved is exciting for me, and I hope it's a sign that 
we're going to stick pretty close to the, the comic book. Uh, either that or he's going to make changes and hope that fans will be okay with that because it is him doing it as opposed to someone else. But either way, I'm excited for Wolfman to be involved. Yeah, me too. Uh, moving on, according to Git Fandom's Eric Goldman on Twitter, DC Warner Brothers was approached about Linda Carter returning as Wonder Woman during the crossover. And Mark Guggenheim said that he's had conversations with DC and Warner Brothers. And based on those conversations, I don't think it's going to be able to happen. Yeah, so presumably because Wonder Woman movie comes out next year, uh, not really shocking. Um, it's weird that there's going to be three Bruce Waynes on TV this year. And you'd think that would be, let me put it this way, I think Gal Gadot is established as Wonder Woman and seeing a cameo of a Wonder Woman on TV isn't going to hurt the movie in any meaningful way. And I think it would it'd be, it would make more sense for Linda Carter to appear than another Batman when there's three Batman or three Bruce Wayne's out there this year and you just cast a movie Batman that you're, you're trying to establish. Um, I think, but again, uh, uh, me understanding what WB is doing with these characters is not something that has happened in a while. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of confusing, especially because Linda Carter, Linda Carter has already been involved in Supergirl and, some capacity and they've even made like references and jokes to wonder woman so like you said i don't think it would be super confusing for people to see her in a small little cameo it'd be really nice i wonder i wonder if she will be involved in some way even if they don't get to have her as wonder woman because it seems like she likes working with them yeah maybe she could be another hero or i don't remember the status of her character on supergirl the president who's no longer the president and yeah. She's an alien. I don't remember her. I don't remember the current status, but I'd like to see her. If she's willing, I'd like to see her involved in, in some way. I think that would be cool. Even if it has to be a different character, it wouldn't be the same as seeing her suited back up as Wonder Woman, but at least she'd be involved. Yeah. And the last CW bit of news from Mark Pedowitz is that there might be another DC Comics show coming for the 2020-2021 season. That's a mouthful. Uh, he specifically asked about a potential future Team Arrow spinoff, and it sounded like that didn't, isn't going to be very likely. But, quote, right now there's another property that we're looking at for next season. And he would not say what that is or give any hints like that. Tracy 13 and Survivor's Club were previously put in development at the CW, but it seems to be implying something else, something Arrowverse-related. Survivor's Club wouldn't be in the Arrowverse, and Tracy 13 sounds dead. Uh, the, the writer of that show has moved on to a couple other projects, so I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon, even though I would like to. Um, he also said there's no plans to end any of the current Arrowverse shows. Do you want to speculate at all on what you would like to see or anything like that? I mean, I would hope, I don't know. I'd hope we see something outside of, I'd hope to see something kind of weird, like outside of things that I want to see in live action in the movie. So outside of the big characters, Batman, Superman, Flash, all of those things, I hope they go with another small thing like I really like Black Lightning, so more in that direction, less in the direction of a, a big established character already. Yeah, that's a really good point, and I'm, I don't know who I would even think of, but Tracy 13, I wish that would get revived and be a part of the Arrowverse. That would give you a magic character and a smaller character that you could play around with and, and do some cool things with and really introduce more of the magic side that hasn't been a ton of in the CW universe. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see another Constantine show if they're up for it. Oh yeah, that's another yeah another potential magic thing there too. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it in terms of news. We also saw the Pennyworth pilot, which is out now. You can get the first three episodes for free on Epics. I think we can do a mini 
non-spoiler, you want to go non-spoiler review of the first episode, which is 72 minutes, written by Bruno Heller, directed by Danny Cannon, both from Gotham fame. Uh, overall, Zach, what would you think of the pilot? Yeah, I, I, I liked it. I, I'm not sure that I don't really think the show is for me, and it's. I don't think I would have ever given this show a chance if it wasn't related to DC in, in some way, just because like this British period spy drama kind of genre isn't my favorite thing. I'm not really like a huge James Bond fan or anything, so it's not particularly interesting to me. That being said, I it was enjoyable. I I think Jack Bannon as Alfred Pennyworth is really really likable. He's a and pretty believable, so that's cool. And I was I was worried that they would make a ton of like really obvious DC references and like ham it up, but they didn't do that at all. So that was that was kind of refreshing and cool to see. Oh yeah, I remember the Gotham pilot that would hammer you over the head with hey look at there's poison ivy by a, a plant and yeah. and those kind of things um i really like this i thought it was very good like you i don't think i would watch this if it wasn't alfred pennyworth and the dc connections are very light similar to how krypton focuses on superman's grandpa but that's a science fiction show and you can have time travel and introduce all sorts of all sorts of dc mythology you're really limited with what you can do in pennyworth which is a grounded show so really alfred pennyworth Thomas Wayne and eventually Martha Wayne. That's really all the connections to DC you have. So it's very thin um, in that way. And so that's the stuff I'm most interested in seeing those DC characters. So I really liked Alfred. And like you said, I like Jack. Jack Bannon was likable. Uh, I thought that it was a cool, stylish thing. Again, it's the original characters are tough for me to get into just because I, I like seeing DC characters adapted. And so it's a very small percentage of the characters. Um, but I liked it as it's fun. It, I was worried when I heard reviews that it is more of a TVMA thing, that it would be a lot of violence and blood and language and all that stuff that I don't necessarily love or, or need in my shows, but I don't think it was for the most part, I don't think it was overdone or, or too gratuitous or anything like that. So yeah, I definitely don't watch this show with young children, but that being said, like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't over the top. I think everything served the story and, I, I did end up liking the the original characters, especially the villains. They're pretty believable and also scary, which is kind of a hard balance to strike with villains without making them be too over the top. So I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a good, interesting story. I did like uh, Alfred's girlfriend. I don't remember her name now, but uh, I did like her. And I thought that was there's smart humor mixed in. I like that things to, I like to think some of these things were nods to Alfred eventually being a butler. Like he was being taught how to open the door with the screw. But I, I can just imagine seeing this Alfred in 40 years or whatever, opening the opening the door to Wayne Manor, letting a guest in for Bruce. And that is how he's going to open the door. I don't know. I just, I just thought that was cool. Like that was, I don't know why. And like his mother, the way she put his toast on a plate and things like that. It just seemed like, uh, subtly laying the seeds for Alfred the Butler, uh, even though he is has this army background, has a tough background with um, lots of violence and everything like that, and he is going to be running the security firm, which looks really cool. I think that's a cool thing they can do with it, uh, and I thought it was really balanced well. So, I mean, can't ask for much more in an Alfred Pennyworth pilot, really. Yeah, I think the one thing you could maybe ask for is like subtitles for some of the characters, um, for for people who aren't quite. Uh, adept at understanding maybe the Scottish accent or some of the British accents. Yeah, there's a variety of those that were uh, a couple in particular that were a little hard to get into, and some some of the some of just not knowing the slang 
that yeah. they use and, and not understanding some of that. So that's a little bit difficult, but I, I like that. It, it's realistic. And as, as far as I know, it, it seems realistic anyway and, and helps establish the world that they are in. So uh, even if it's tough to understand what they're, what the slang is or all of that, I'm glad it's there. Yeah. So I think overall, if you, if you don't expect to get a ton of DC history lore or connections, I think you can enjoy the show for what it is, but don't, don't go into it thinking it's going to inform your Batman stories much at all. Yeah. It's a fun action spy show with ties to Alfred Pennyworth. And that's mostly it. All right. Well, that is all we have for today. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon.